appreciate the opportunity to sub for Pastor Chris today. I know he and Kim are enjoying their time with their new granddaughter. I didn't check Facebook this morning to see what the picture count was up to, but it's pretty prodigious. And unlike the last time I preached here, no boats were sunk, no water rescue necessary. It's been a pretty calm summer for the house. In reading over the lectionary text for this Sunday, one thing kept jumping out to me over and over. Tests. In the Exodus passage for today, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, Moses is leading the Israelites, and the Israelites are not happy. They have had to eat manna day in and day out. And now they're thirsty, and they're whining to Moses. Moses asks them, why do you quarrel with me? And why do you test the Lord? The Israelites continue their whining. And Moses worries that they're going to hurt him. So he asks God to help him. God helps Moses provide water for the Israelites. And Moses names the place where God provided the water, Massa and Meribah. Massa meaning test, and Meribah meaning quarrel. I guess there wasn't a Hebrew word for whining. <laughs> Psalm 78 in today's lectionary is about Israel's rebellion in the wilderness, the lessons learned from the past, and God's goodness. We will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. God promised to care for the Israelites, and God delivered. So kind of a test, but more of a promise kept. The Philippians passage, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, is one of my favorites. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This passage goes on to remind us that we need to look after others and let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And it also says, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to be honest with you, I would love to preach on that passage. <laughs> but I kept coming back to Matthew, and I decided I wanted to wrestle with it. It would not let me go. The Gospel of Matthew is full of stories and parables, and some of these stories and parables are unique to the Matthew Gospel. A.J. Levine, in her book, Short Stories by Jesus, says that parables do the unexpected. No kidding. Levine also says, Jesus told parables because they serve as keys that can unlock the mysteries we face by helping us to ask the right questions how to live in community, how to determine what ultimately matters, how to live the life that God wants us to live. Jesus taught with parables, and the parables are still remembered because they continue to provoke, challenge, and inspire. Do y'all remember last week's story about the landowner and the laborers in the vineyard? Do you remember that parable? It's another parable that is unique to the Matthew, to the Matthew Gospel. No matter what time the landowner hired the workers, either for all day, part of the day, or at the end of the day, the laborers all made the same wage. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
So here we are in Matthew, and here we go with the test and spoiler alert, a parable. You know, this is the last week of Jesus' life. At the beginning of chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly to the acclaim of the crowds. Jesus knows what needs to happen to fulfill God's will for humankind and what he needs to do. I'm pretty sure he's got a list. So what does Jesus do? He enters the temple and begins teaching. Is that on his list? Confront the priest? And not only do the priests come to him as he was teaching, but so do the elders of the people, that is the temple officials. Jesus is immediately asked, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? What kid hasn't ever heard that? Who told you that you could eat that cake, take the car, stay home from school, fill in the blank? What that statement in that certain tone of voice really means is that you aren't supposed to do whatever it was you did. Jesus says that he will ask a question, and if the priest can answer it correctly, then he will tell them by what authority he does these things. Jesus is no shrinking violet. He answers a question with a question and essentially baits the priest. Who does that? But Jesus knows it's not time to tell the priest that his authority comes from the fact that he is the Son of God. There are still things to do. There are still things he needs to teach. There's work he still needs to do with the disciples. He's operating on God's time, and he knows it. So the question Jesus asked, did the baptism of John come from heaven or human origin? Well, the priests argue with each other. They know it's a trick question. If they say heaven, Jesus will ask them why they didn't believe John. If they say human origin, well, that's going to anger the crowd because they believe Jesus is a prophet, the Messiah, and nobody wants to anger the crowd. So the priest chickened out. They admitted they did not know. They were supposed to know they are the paid believers of the temple. Jesus, in a classic neener neener move, <laughs> said, well, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And really, that should be enough. But then Matthew rolls out a parable. And we're back at the vineyard. So a man has two sons. And he asked the first son to go to the vineyard and work. And the son, obviously a teenager, says, no, no, not going to do it. Not going to work in the vineyard today. But being a teenager and smart enough to change his mind and recognizing who is really the boss in the family, the teenager goes to the vineyard to work. So the father went to the second son and asked him to go to the, to the vineyard. And this son politely tells his father that he won't go. But he doesn't. Jesus then asked which of the two sons did the will of the father. Well, at this point, I'm ready to go to the vineyard to get a glass of wine. <laughs> so the priest answered the first son. Wrong. Jesus pokes them again. He says, truly I tell you, 
which seems to me to be the scriptural equivalent of neener neener, tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before you do. Wow. Jesus goes on to explain that John came to the priests, but they didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. The priests outwardly act pious, but inwardly don't exhibit true belief. And it was their job to know, to distinguish between the true and the false prophets. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, well, their outward lives say one thing, but they believed. They believed what John preached, that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus goes on to chastise the priest. He says even after they saw what John did, they still wouldn't change their minds and believe him. Mark Allen Powell says, Jesus enters Jerusalem and challenges the religious leaders there. He questions the leader's authority. He tells parables against them. He responds to a series of tests that they put before him. And then he lambasts them as fools and hypocrites destined for hell. Powell goes on to say that in Matthew's gospel, Jesus exhibits less human frailty. The disciples exhibit more potential for growth and leadership, but the religious leaders are portrayed worse in Matthew than any of the other gospels. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what a parable really means, at least it is for me. So this parable of the two sons is really a parable about the two not-so-good sons, but it's really more about promises and actions. And a disclosure here, one of the texts I um, looked at said that it doesn't say that they're sons, that they're children. Just the translation I had said sons, and so I just went with that. I had daughters, and I could tell you they did the same thing. <laughs> one son doesn't promise, but he acts. He goes to the vineyard after he said he wouldn't. The second son is portrayed as politely promising, but not acting. Promises do not take the place of action. In a perfect world, both sons would be polite, and both would do what their father asked of them. In other words, the Christian way is action, not promise, with obedience graciously given. I'm told the text, this particular text, is here in this gospel to show the escalating tensions between Jesus and the priests and the others in authority. Jesus' authority is pitted against the authority of the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the temple officials. This tension will continue until God's final victory in Jesus' resurrection. Sometimes with the text... And especially with the parable, it's helpful to think about what is not revealed or shared. Sometimes we don't have context. We don't know the circumstances or the motivation of the two sons. Could there be a reason the first son said no, but then something changed for him and he could go? Was there something that prevented the second son from acting on his promise? In thinking about this, the known and the unknown of the parable. Could it be this is a message to us? Have we ever made a promise we couldn't keep? You know, call me, let's do lunch. 
the checks in the mail? Or have we judged someone harshly, though that person may be doing God's will? We often judge others by what we see, not remembering that all is not visible and that we are all beloved children of God and we are all sinners saved by grace. And though it is sometimes painful, especially for me to remember, the priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the temple officials were the first century's church council members. Like me, they are paid believers, those charged with the spiritual health and well-being of the people in their care. God uses all people for God's purpose. And the two summons, the parable reminds us that you can change your mind. In other words, it's never too late to carry out the will of the Father. And this parable reminds us that our words and our actions are not the final arbiter of our fate. If it was only what we did day to day that determined our standing with God, then many of us, myself included, would not have much hope. But that is not how God works. The grace of God is beyond our understanding. So remember this. We come here each week seeking God's word, celebrating God's grace and goodness, and seeking a right relationship with God. And we are human. We have differences with each other, we have worries and concerns, and there are things that hold us back. In other words, the context of our lives sometimes gets in the way of our relationship with God. But God understands even if we don't. God is always willing to be in relationship with us. God sent his son to challenge the paid believers and the angry crowds and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and everyone. So let us be receptive to this astounding grace. Let us open our hearts to those in the sanctuary and to those outside in the world. Let us celebrate God's goodness and mercy, and most of all, God's grace to us and for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let us promise to act and then to do so with the authority of our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.